Welcome back, Grizz Nation, to another edition of GBB Live. Yes, that's right. Joe Molinax is not here with us. It is his co-host, Parker Fleming, holding it down as Coach Molinax is in the playoffs for his football team. So good luck and good vibes over to Coach Molinax. But welcome to GBB Live, a podcast on the Grizzly Bear Blues Podcast Network, alongside the Core 4 Podcast, the 3 and D Podcast, and the Starting Five Podcast. Ways to get in touch with the blog, you can find us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies or read us on the web at grizzlybearblues.com. Lots of content. We cover every game, and it's great. And with us today is someone who also is covering each and every game live from Zoom. He is the Grizzlies beat writer for back. What? All right, I'm going to introduce you so you can tell us what it is. This is Adam Tyke, Grizzlies beat writer for what? What's the platform you write for again? Yeah, it's Back Sports Page. I okay. wanted to get my my Jim Mora on, but I don't think I can do like a playoffs uh, that's going to go as viral as uh, as Mora did for the Colts that one time. I'm not wow. even going to try to impersonate it. It's not going to work. Hey, it, it's all good. But um, no, so Adam had just gotten into the scene, the Grizzlies scene this season, uh, covering for uh, back, back sports page. And, you know, he's, he's on every call and he's always asking questions. And, you know, I wanted to ask because you're, you're not from Memphis or anything. Uh, for one, just tell us like more about yourself so you can give yourself a little intro to Grizz Nation, but also – what led you to wanting to cover the Grizzlies? Because I mean, I assume I'm assuming like this this outlet isn't just like Grizzlies based or whatever. Like you probably have free reign to cover whichever NBA team that you wanted, but you chose the Grizzlies. So I want to hear just more about yourself and just how you got to covering the Grizzlies. God Parker, I can't believe you blew my cover of not being from Memphis. I, I hey. try really, really hard to keep that. No, yeah, that's that's obvious. I uh, I grew up in the Bay Area actually, and that's kind of where like my story starts for getting into Memphis. Was back in January of 2020, I had an internship lined up at a sports radio station back home in SF. Pandemic happens, that kind of falls through, and so I was just sort of sitting at home, you know, needing something to do. Um, and so I just turned to sports writing as kind of my outlet for all the like takes and information that's buzzing around my brain, uh, and was just fortunate, fortunate enough to link up with Randy Zelia and Bill Ingram, who is a, I think Bill Ingram founded Hoops World that then went on to become Hoops Hype. Um, so these are our people who know their stuff and have like some really great relationships with PR staffs, with front offices, Mm -hmm. um, you know, a very good set of connections around the league and wrote my butt off for them. Tried to, tried to like do my best to like annoy them asking for opportunities. Um, Mm. And so when it came time for this coming season, came back to school, holding it down at Washington university in St. Louis, go bears. Um, That's why I was rooting for Baylor. So happy in the final four that at least, you know, some bear mascot is able to like have some title success. Mm. Um, you know, admittedly, like our relationship with Ross Wooded and, and Corey Moore and the PR staff um, was a big factor for me in terms of like getting myself into the Grizzlies locker room. Um, but I, I needed a Midwest team. This is mm-hmm. where I am full time now. I grew up in the Bay Area, 
watching those Warriors teams like everyone else did. Like if you grew up at the time I grew up and you are not watching basketball, having been in the Bay Area for like the Warriors years, who are you? I don't right. like I don't know if you exist. Um, but I needed a Midwest team. And it obviously didn't hurt that I think the Grizzlies are in just like a, a fascinating position on the come up. So much young talent, both on the roster and on the coaching staff. Doesn't help that they're a four hour drive away either. And so it was just like this amazing, like culmination of everything coming together that's led to me covering the Grizzlies. And I can tell you right now, like this is not going to be the last year I do this because I'm just like, falling in love with the team, the city, and honestly, like the media sphere around the team has been like mm -hmm. so much fun to like interact with and stuff. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and, you know, hopefully going to continue to make some of those connections as we go forward. Absolutely. Yeah. Talk about attacking the pandemics. I mean, they really put everyone in un unprecedented circumstances. You found a window of an opportunity to, you know, cover a team virtually through zoom and, you know, in the process that you've gotten to build connections, build relationships that should be with you going forward. I mean, the Grizzlies is a great spot to do it. I mean, similar situation where um, I got in touch with uh, PR actually at a uh, Mike Conley press conference when he signed his big uh, contract extensions kind of led me to where I am today. And, you know, there's great people covering the team, great people working for the team. And, you know, you're getting into a good spot. And, you know, I really appreciate you choosing the Grizzlies because, you know, as a Midwestern, you like in St. Louis, you could have covered uh, Oklahoma City or Chicago or Indiana. I'm not going to throw Cleveland on you. I don't know if anybody actually wants to cover a post LeBron Cleveland team, but you know that it's been great that uh, you're in that Grizzly. You're basically on Grizzlies Twitter now. You're in the media sphere, and you know you're you're covering a team that's on the come up. And one thing I want to ask you, just because this is your first year covering the team, kind of like like an outsider, like veering his way into being like an insider is whether it's on or off the court, what have been like some of your biggest impressions on this team so far? Well, first of all, like we're going to have to do some like temperature checks after this next year's round of coach of the year voting comes in, because I'm expecting that Taylor Jenkins is going to get heavy consideration. If not for the first like couple of spots, you can mm -hmm. argue for maybe a Quinn Snyder or Monty Williams. I wouldn't really look at you cross if yeah. you did that. But after that, like to me, that spots Taylor Jenkins. I mean, he is just a heck of a coach, like looking up and down the roster, the people that he's been able to maximize, um, you know, with such a young team as well, like Minnesota, OKC, Detroit are sort of the similar comps in terms of the ages of teams around the Grizzlies. And all of those teams are like floundering mm -hmm. and yet in like a stacked West, probably the most stacked conference that I can remember in my time watching basketball, like Jenkins has the team right there. It's, it's just an incredible accomplishment. And I, I think sort of melding that into more off the court stuff, like it's just been so much fun for me trying to get to like pick Jenkins brain, like as, as, you know, sort of the outsider turned insider, as you said, like, it's very much a feeling out process. Um, mm -hmm. Like you have to figure out like, okay, what do these people like to talk about? Like, what sort of stuff do they shy away from? Like, 
how do I, how do I press these people, people's buttons in ways that like build relationships yeah. and ultimately like get me the material that I'm looking for. And like with, with coach Jenkins, I sometimes sort of feel like I'm going up against like a chess grandmaster or something, because you can just tell with him and, and with plenty of others on the team as well. Like I, I by no means want to limit this to the coach. Like he's just such a smart dude where He's great at giving you material if he wants, if he doesn't want to let something on, you know, he can talk for two minutes, but also not really like provide you with any information that's going to compromise the game plan or whatever. Like, I think he probably dreams of like basketball tactics because that man is just on like 24 seven. And as someone who's sort of covering a team for the first time in this sort of level of intimacy, it's really like, cool just to watch him go through the motions mm-hmm. yeah for sure and so I mean in my time is is like covering the team I've been around three coaches on yeah three coaches so Fisdale uh JB Biggerstaff and uh coach Taylor Jenkins they're all great uh, they're all good in their own regard but I mean the thing that just have caught that's caught my eye with coach Jenkins is just how smart he is a basketball mind he's not afraid to get into like the nitty ditty uh nitty-gritty details with you as far as uh, game plan and strategy and, you know, throwing out like basketball lingo and all that. It's, it's very, um, I don't want to say refreshing because I'm not trying to throw any slides over at Fisdale or, or Bickerstaff, but like you could just kind of see like what coach Jenkins is trying to build, not just from an X's and O's standpoint, from a, but from a cultural standpoint, as far as building a good locker room culture, a, a good place where, you know, you may have to, you may have to talk to a young player about like why he may not be playing, but also have him ready for that next man up kind of deal. Like as we saw with Xavier Tillman, he was catching uh, the DNP CDs a few weeks ago. And then Winslow went down opportunity opened up and he's, he kind of picked back up to where he was in January when he was making his initial debut and his initial run uh, guys like Killian Tilly and John Conchar last night, kind of stepping in and providing a little bit, no, I mean, not exactly to their level because those are probably the two best bench players on the team. But what you were missing with Brandon Clark and De'Anthony Melton, you had guys like Desmond Bain, John Conchar, Killian Tilly, Xavier Tillman, all stepping up to kind of fulfill that role by committee. So it's been great to see. And um, another thing I'll ask you too, I'll put you on the spot here. I'm going to say John Morant excluded because it's an easy answer for anybody, but who's been your favorite player on the team to cover this year? Ooh. Okay. Wording of these questions is difficult because like there's, there's to cover, there's to watch there's in general. How about we um, say cover can be like, whether you can, you can have it to be like, like talking to and stuff like that, but also just kind of like analyze their game. Okay. So on a, on a strictly coverage basis, um, Dylan Brooks is making a really late surge. As of late, that dude's been absolutely like on a roll of comedy in his press conferences. Um, I will go with Grayson Allen though, only because the, the times that you can sort of get him going about his shooting is just incredible to sort of just sit back and listen to in press conferences. Like I, I've made this joke on Twitter before, but it, it feels like you're sitting in like a TED talk of someone running you through the motions of what it takes to be a 40% shooter at an NBA level. 
Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just a basketball geek in me, but I find that super duper cool to interact with and listen to. Um, in general, sort of pulling it back from just, you know, the conversations that we're having as media members, that gets a little bit more difficult. Um, oh man, I think I will have to commit to Kyle Anderson only because I think his story is just incredible. Um, you know, you see the amount of work that he's put into his game every night, um, kind of exemplifies the Grizzlies mantra of versatility and doing whatever the team needs him to do. He can play the three, he can play the four, he can play make. There's really not much that Anderson can't do. Um, It also doesn't hurt that like the slow-mo factor of it all, like he's just so much fun to sort of watch as he plays at a completely different speed than everyone else on the court and Mm -hmm. like totally makes it work. Like it's him and Jermaine O'Neal as like my two favorite unorthodox players. And O'Neal that's just for like his free throw where he takes some dribbles and from like picking up the ball to shooting would be about 10 seconds. And you get like a lane violation on every other free throw which I thought was like a fun strategy to get like infinite redos. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's only at the free throw line, right? And Kyle Anderson's sort of doing that you know, throughout his entire game and then now add on sort of the fundamentals that he's been able to build up so well with the shooting and the playmaking and even really his emergence on the defensive end. And I just find it like completely endearing, a big slow-mo guy over here. Right, no, uh, slow-mo's game has been, his leap this year has just been unbelievable uh, to watch and really kind of like one of the cooler uh, role player jumps in the league. Like that we I've seen in a while, just a guy that, especially at his age, because I mean, it's not like this was a guy that was, or like for example, like Anthony Melton, evolving into the pull-up shooter that he has at 22 years old. Like he's 27 years old, and I think that his what he's done this season is just really kind of jumped his values. I mean, you could put him like in the same stratosphere as 3D players, kind of like a Robert Covington a guy that you can plug and play anywhere. You can have him at your four. You can have him off the bench as like a like a big backup point guard. You can have him defending your the other team's four, the other team's three, other team's two. He's just such a, a malleable player, and, and that's very valuable in today's NBA. I will say, Adam, you, you're very close to becoming my new best friend because you said Dylan Brooks, and obviously, as you've seen in your short time on Grizz Twitter, there is Dylan Brooks Island. So obviously we are offering space to you if you would like it, but also too, I, I I've been a big Grayson Allen fan since he was at Duke. I, I'm I've always been a Duke fan. Like JJ Redick was the first uh, Duke player I ever college basketball player I'd ever watched. So just grew to like Duke, and I, I was ecstatic when he became a Memphis Grizzly. But it's it's very cool. Like you kind of describes like a TED talk, but just like the way kind of like similar to Jenkins, the way he gets into the X's and O's and the strategy part of it, not even just as a shooter, but uh, I remember asking him about like defensive coverages, like against Trey Young and like uh, what kind of changed in that. He was very detail oriented, uh, something that Sean Coleman always tells me that he sees Grayson becoming a coach one day. And you can see it like he's very smart basketball mind. This is not afraid to get super detailed, but uh, we're going to transition here to last night's game and it goes into a talking point that you really want to touch on and the Grizzlies without Jaron and Justice as we've kind of seen for most of the season anyways but without 
D'Anthony Melton and Brandon Clark, arguably two of their most productive players on the team. Uh, they, they didn't play last night. They're playing a Miami Heat team that's been kind of finding their rhythm. They're fifth in the Eastern Conference, Eastern Conference finalist, my favorite Eastern Conference team. And, you know, they, they kind of revamped themselves to, to replace uh, Olenek with Bialica, to replace Avery Bradley with Victor Oladipo, and to bring in Trevor Ariza to take up Myers Leonard's roster spot. So, like, they're rejuvenated. They're ready to go. They're ready to be a dark horse. And the Grizzlies hit him in the mouth. And it, that's something that's very hard to do with this Miami Heat team behind Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo is to hit them in the mouth, and they did. It really started at the beginning when they were feeding it inside to Jonas Valanciunas. I mean, and then Dylan Brooks just went went crazy in that third quarter. Just what were some of the uh, main takeaways that you had from last night's game? Well, obviously, like, D-beast mode. That's that's I'm workshopping that one. I like that um, D beast mode. You gotta tweet that out there. Maybe I, I I will build up a reputation over time as like the the bad pun purveyor of Grizzlies Twitter. Um, you know, for me it's and I, I've tried not to hit everyone over the head about this, but to me it's been just shooting, 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 shooting. Mm-hmm. Um 38, 39, and 41 threes attempted in the Grizzlies last three games. Um this time, though, Miami's sort of interesting because they actually took 42 threes in the last matchup against Miami, only scoring 89 points in that game. The thing is, I think they only made 10 of them in the first outing. Obviously, they shot way better in the rematch. Um, and I, I, I feel, because we are going to sort of dive deep into all of the like little implications and wrinkles of sort of the new balance, not to like make a shoe pun, of mm-hmm. the of the Grizzlies offense and and sort of the importance of shooting more threes. Um, but I, I think one sort of distinction that I want to make before I really go into anything is I'm praising the play style way more than the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, you put up a, a poll on Twitter, I believe, and and sort of gauging fan opinion about the shooting. And I think two options were like, you know, shoot more threes. And then there was another option that was like, this isn't sustainable. And I, I did vote for shoot more threes, but I do think it's kind of both. And that's not an affront to anyone. It's just that the Grizzlies are right now on pace for like, if you extended their last three games out to an entire season, it would be the best offensive season ever. Like they're shooting 55% from the corners over the last three games. Mm-hmm. Like that's just by, by nature of the NBA that's just not going to continue for 10 or 28 or 82 games, um, you know, let alone an entire playoff run. But I, th- I think what's really like exciting about this for the two of us is like play style wise, this is where the team needs to get to. Um, and so I, I think the Miami games, a fantastic demonstration you know, Philly's definitely stout on defense as well. Obviously, they're missing Embiid. But the fact that these threes are allowing them to put up such high point totals against really good defenses, you know, I think it's an incredible sign for what a Grizzlies team two or three or, or four years down the road is going to look like and sort of gives them a clear roadmap to success. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I... I of the opinion of 
just keep letting them fly, you know, because Coach Jenkins said to us last week, he said, I think it was Sean Coleman that asked about this. He said, it's not making 19 threes, it's taking 39 because you got to take 39 to get to, to make 19. And I, I think that's just a very good philosophy. And, you know, this is probably uh, the best balance of quality and quantity of shooters the Grizzlies have had in a while, for sure. I mean, maybe ever. I don't want to, I just don't want to get too hyperbolic and say forever. But I think one thing that is kind of like playing a little factor into it is, you know, you have guys like Grayson Allen and D'Anthony Melton that have high three point rates. Like a lot of the times they typically trend more towards that 40 to 70% of their shots or threes. But you also have Dylan Brooks, who's improved over the past several games as a three point shooter. He's shooting almost 40% over this past 10 game span. Uh, you have John Morant before last night. He had nine games in a row where he would hit at least one three. You had Desmond Bain who's shooting about four to six a game. So I, I think that's going to be very important for the structure of this Grizzlies team going forward, especially when they get Jaron Jackson Jr. back, who last season he shot 40% from three while attempting six and a half threes a game. That that's a when you have a guy like that that can play the five. That's going to open up the floor a lot more. I wrote about it today on Grizzly Bear Blues about just like how it will affect the pick and roll with John Morant. And it's just going to open the floor and it's just going to give the Grizzlies a plethora of weapons that they can look at. And I think that at some point soon, um, especially after whatever happens with their draft pick, I think we're really about to see like some like legit like spacing Nirvana out there for the Grizzlies. And that's, you'll basically be surrounding John Morant with three shooters and a role man. And I think that's just going to be a recipe for good offense, especially if they keep firing about 38 to 43s a game. Well, you know how you said that you didn't want to make like some sweeping grandiose statement just now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to break that. I'm going to, I'm I going go to ahead. be the one who takes the job. So I went through some kind of, historical analogs or comparisons for players like John Morant in the past. And I wanted to see how many threes that those teams were shooting. Now, obviously there's kind of a a trip up with that where if you go back even 10 years, teams are shooting like half the threes that they are now. So I wanted to look at this just in terms of league ranking alone. Right now, the Grizzlies are shooting around 38, 39 threes per game. That would rank them about fifth in the NBA. And I think you and I both believe that that's a reasonable pace for them going forward. So with the shooting they have in place right now. Yeah. Yes. And potentially about to grow with, with Jaron back with the draft pick, as you said, I think there are sort of broader roster implications that I'll sort of circle back to later because I do have some concerns about this system as well. Um, But like looking at the thunder and Russell Westbrook's third year, they're 16th in threes attempted. The Bulls were 17th in the league in threes attempted in Chicago's third in uh, Chicago's third year, Derek Rose. Uh, John Wall's third season, Washington's 20th in the league in threes attempted. So hyperbole is like, I think we might be seeing the genesis of potentially the best tailored system around a young athletic point guard that the NBA has ever seen. Mm-hmm. teams like like young point guards like this are almost never provided the space to operate in um and suddenly like the the sky is opening a choir of angels has come down 
And sort of like you said, Jaw slowly but surely is just going to get more and more and more spacing around him. He's going to have to learn to adjust to that. Like he's only shot, I think, 7.7 field goals per game over the last stretch. And ultimately, like, I just don't think that that's super healthy for Memphis. They're going to need more out of him from a scoring standpoint in terms of like, you know, in clutch time when defenses are sort of cranking it up a notch, like they're going to need John Morant to shoot more than that. But at least right now, like, I think we are about to see probably the best system ever put around a player like John Morant, who's a point guard kind of, I don't want to say reliant on athleticism, but what I'll call like a burst focused point guard. And I'm really excited to see how that goes because like it's never happened before. Oh yeah. I mean, it's not like super hyperbolic. I mean, the modern NBA and the, the spacing that has is been a big part of the game for the past several years. It didn't really, really kick off until that first Warriors championship run in uh, the 2014-15 season. But, I mean, I think that's the plan going forward. And, you know, if you get John Moran around shooters and good role guys, guys good guys that can cut and operate in space, I think it's just going to bode well going forward for the trajectory of this offense. Because as we've seen the past couple of days and or the past couple of games, and as he said in post-game and as like guys like Eric Spolstra have said during post-game, He's not going to care about stats. He's going to want to put his teammates in the best position to win games. And when it comes to that, he's extremely valuable. He's, I mean, he's a 21-year-old point guard who for the past two seasons, he's put his team in playoff position when, let's be real, like they weren't supposed to be in this spot. Last season, they were projected to be the worst team in the Western Conference. And then this season, they didn't have anything with uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. probably up until – the next couple of weeks and they're still in the playoff picture fighting off teams like golden state san antonio sacramento new orleans teams that people tend to look to and they're like oh they're they're probably better than the grizzlies but when you really look at it as far as the the structure the system that's in place and really just kind of like the underrated brilliance of the role players the grizzlies have like it's just a recipe for a perfect john morant centric offense and I'm, I'm very excited to see it. Um, one thing I'll, I'll hit you with here, I know I didn't really mention this in any sort of prep or anything, but I wrote about it today on the blog because we're talking about John Morant-centric offenses. As they continue to increase this three-point volume, surround him with shooting, or get Jaron Jackson Jr. back, or even just in general, like as they add experience, how valuable do you think the pick and roll is going to be as they continue to kind of play with increasing this three-point frequency? I mean, how many how many adjectives that mean very important would you like? Um, paramount, vital, absolutely 100% necessary. That's It's going to be the lifeblood of the offense going forward. Um, and that's that's a Memphis Grizzlies trend, but it's also an NBA trend right now. Like the spread pick and roll is just everyone, like everyone, it's everything that everyone is talking about in terms mm -hmm. of how NBA teams run their offenses, except for the Golden State Warriors, which has been a very frustrating watch for me as someone who grew up in the Bay Area, but not a Warriors po podcast. So I won't vent all of my dubs frustrations yeah. on you. 
Hey, how, um, how about this? You can vent about it when the Warriors end up giving the Grizzlies like the sixth pick in the 2024 draft. Yeah, well, I thought you were going to say I can vent about it when the Grizzlies beat the Warriors handily in a play-in game. Hey, we'll, that, we'll focus on that too. But yeah, sorry, go ahead. Just had to cut you off there. Yeah, no worries. Um, yeah, no, it's going to be vital for Memphis. Um, but I, I think right now, forecasting long-term, it's difficult for me to say like, that's going to be everything for Memphis because I, I think there are a couple of moves that are really going to determine the like sets that are going to be the core of the Memphis offense. I think obviously the job pick and roll is going to be one he's hit. He's been able to hit some step back threes consistently. And I think that's like a huge piece of, of the puzzle with the pick and roll is like that way. If his defender goes under one dribble backwards, no one's moving laterally with jaw, like athletically, they're a handful of players who can do that. And so if he's able to have that weapon in his back pocket, like that's a three every time when a defender goes under. Um, but I, I think right now where the Grizzlies roster stands and you and I've been talking about this in sort of vague terms, but I want to like address the elephant in the room, you know, right now the Grizzlies have like, what I would call about 12 NBA rotation caliber players on their roster. Um, and that's not even forecasting like a draft pick in the future, free agency. I mean, hell, we had to cut Gorgie Jang, who got picked up by the Spurs. And if Greg Popovich wants you, like that is the sign of respect as an NBA player. And so I think at some point the Grizzlies are going to have to like consolidate because Taylor Jenkins, he's not going to run a 12 man rotation. Um, you know, it's been controversial whether he'll even run an 11 man rotation or not. And I think the Grizzlies are in a great spot to kind of throw a godfather offer at a team if they'd like. Um, you know, they don't have one huge contract, but what that means is they can sort of piece together players to sort of fit their package specifically to a team's need. Um, one of the players that I was poking around with the trade machine on today was a uh, Carl Anthony Towns. Like for Minnesota, for example, like we can throw them Valanchunas because the Grizzlies wouldn't need Valanchunas anymore if, if they had Towns on the team, obviously. Um, but if they're trading for someone like Bradley Beal, you know, maybe it's Dylan Brooks and Justice Winslow who are the matching salary, you know, and then take into consideration the picks, plenty of young players on the cheap, um, like Grayson Allen, Brandon Clark, Melton. Actually, Melton just got the extension, um, but like Desmond Bain, you know, those can all be sort of thrown into the deal to sweeten the pot. And so I think within like the next couple of years, Memphis is going to have another like, if not superstar, then star player on the roster. That's sort of going to going to determine what the other components of this offense look like separate from the pick and roll. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it, it's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, obviously with the roster consolidation shoot, that's like a, a whole nother podcast. I think we could probably go on for two hours about that, but I'm not going to do that to, to our listeners or to uh, Joe Monax or anything, but uh, no, I, I really think that the pick and roll is going to be a very vital part of the Grizzly success. And I kind of compared it to something I want to see more of is like a higher pick and roll, like starting that pick and roll more out like that 28, 30 feet range. And, you know, I compared it initially in my pitch with like Dame, but like I mentioned, and it got kind of some feedback when I mentioned that comparison. It's like Jaw's not going to have the pull up game, but he's also going to have 
a seven foot Jaron Jackson Jr. who can shoot from 30 feet, he's going to be popping out um, over to the wing for open threes while the big men are in drop coverage. He's going to have a guy like Brandon Clark who can explode down the lane and get a real launching pad to go up above the rim. And then on top of that, like as defenses are playing them, like the, any of those three guys, they're going to have open shooters like DeAnthony Melton or Desmond Bain or Grayson Allen ready to fire from three. Heck, even Kyle Anderson's been a good corner three shooter. So I'm very excited to see where this offense goes, especially, you know, with this increased pace in threes, the the good balance of quantity versus quality from shooting, but also John Moran. He He's the reason why this team is where they are, like the primary reason. And it's just going to be very fun to see how this group evolves. And uh, Adam will get you out on this here. Um, do you have any bold predictions for the rest of the season? Okay, for the rest of the season. Yeah, give me, um, give me one bold prediction. Okay, I'll give you one for the rest of the season and then one going forward. This might be recency bias. Okay. I think I think we are going to get, if not a 50-piece, I think we're getting a 45-piece from someone before the end of the season. Okay, I like That's that. That's prediction number one. Prediction number two, going off my trade, my trade finder pokings. Within the next calendar year, so not by the start of next season, but by April 7th, 2022, Carl Anthony Towns will be a Memphis Grizzly. I love the speaking it into existence. And I mean, t- I tell you what, man, if they were to have two seven-footers that fire like 15 threes a game collectively, whew, now that's spacing. That is absolute spacing. But, you know, great stuff there. Adam, before we close the show, let the people know where they can find you and and your work as well. Absolutely. So I'm at not underscore Adam T E I C H on Twitter. And then I'll, I'll post on my writing, but if you want to go straight to the source, I do a lot of other good things with the website that aren't necessarily Grizzlies related, obviously working with a bunch of young, talented writers at backsportspage.com. Absolutely. Make sure you're uh, following Adam Tyke on Twitter at not underscore Adam Tyke. He's on the come up. Be on the lookout for him and his work. You can find me on Twitter at Paca underscore Flocka. Read all of the work that Grizzly Bear Blues does. Fantastic work, actually, over at grizzlybearblues.com. And follow us on Twitter at SBN Grizzlies. Follow the podcast on Twitter at GBB Live. And make sure you're liking and subscribing and downloading to the podcast network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Megaphone, iHeartRadio, or wherever you get your podcasts. And to steal Joe Mullinax's trademark salutations, grind forth, Grizz Nation. This is Grizzly Bear Blues Live. <laughs> <laughs>